Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. This past few days, we were reminded of the power of the storm. And this wasn't even a big one. In fact, here in Mobile, we look at these kind of storms and we're like, eh, it was a little wind, a lot of rain, but it wasn't too bad. We only lost a couple of limbs, maybe a couple of shingles. My fence got pushed down just a little bit, but I can probably reinforce it. Anybody else experienced that this last few days? But we were reminded, or at least I was, at 4 a.m. in the morning of, of the power of the wind. As I'm laying in bed and I hear it whipping around outside, and I hear um, the, the trees swaying right outside of our, our window uh, in the bushes, and just the power of that. And we knew it was coming, right? We knew it was coming. We got prepared and I was prepared for, for as, as, as much as 60-mile-an-hour winds, I think. I was like, okay, if we hit this, we'll, you know, everything's fine. I was prepared for that mentally. Um, but to hear it, you're reminded of the force and the power behind this wind. But you're also reminded of just how out of control we really are. It reminds us of how small we are and how powerless we really are in the grand scheme of things. Today we're going to look at a passage as we continue to talk about the Holy Spirit. Last week we looked at the Holy Spirit for creation and how it was the Spirit that hovered over the deep and how it was the Spirit that gave power into creation. He was part of that whole moment when God spoke into existence and it was. So Spirit is power. And along that line, spirit is often compared to wind or breath. In fact, in the Hebrew and in the Greek. So in the Old Testament Hebrew word and the New Testament Greek word, the words both in both languages mean three things. Wind, breath, actually four, life, and spirit. Now think about that for a second. It makes sense, right? If, you're, if you know nothing about medicine and you're a first century person living in Palestine and you know this person is living and when they live, they breathe and air comes out of their mouth, what happens when they die? They quit breathing. There is no breath coming out. There is no wind. There is no life. And so in their world in the construct of their mind that language is important and those words they use were important wind and breath and life and spirit were all combined so much so that they were actually the same word we're going to look at a passage today that you are probably very familiar with or at least part of this passage you're very familiar with we're going to turn to john 3 and today we're going to look at the spirit and spiritual birth. John 3, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. You can follow on the screen or on your smart device. 
What you need to know before we get here is the background of what has just happened in John's gospel. Now, unlike the synoptic gospels, John tells this story of Jesus clearing the temple at the very beginning. Not at the end of Jesus' life, but at the beginning of his ministry. He tells the story of Jesus clearing the temple. And he clears the temple and then um, has the response with the leadership of the temple. And then it's later, and we don't know how much later, that Nicodemus shows up. We pick up the action here. It could be the same night. It could be weeks later. It could be years later. We don't know. Because John tells the story not chronologically necessarily. That might blow your mind. Don't get overwhelmed by that. Oftentimes they used history and it wasn't chronological. That doesn't mean it was any less historical. It just wasn't chronological as we would put together a timeline. There's a lot of reasons behind that. Again, don't get hung up. If you want, if you got questions about that, please come and see me. It's a simple explanation. Anyway, so at some point after Jesus clearing the temple, the Sadducees, which were the leader of the temple, would have been very put off, very, very put off by Jesus. But not necessarily the Pharisees. The Sadducees who were in charge of the temple would have been mad. The Pharisees would have been laughing because they were like, even though they were on the same team, they weren't really on the same team. The Sadducees and the Pharisees differed in theology. The Sadducees had power over the temple. The Pharisees didn't. The Pharisees were in everyday life. They wanted to control everyday life where the Sadducees wanted to control all that went on in their worship. And so there was this kind of this friction in between Pharisees or Sadducees and Pharisees. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, and he comes after the clearing of the temple, which in and of itself is interesting. Now, there was a man, verse 1, chapter 3, of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So not only was he a Pharisee, which put him in high esteem, but he was a ruler, which meant he had kind of a, a higher standard, uh, standing even within the group of Pharisees. And this man came to Jesus by night. Now, how many of you have heard the reasoning why he came by night? Have you heard this before? What have you heard is the reasoning? Say it out loud. So, yes, well, so the Romans or the other Pharisees wouldn't see him. So he comes at night because he doesn't want to be seen. That's one possibility, but it's not the only possibility. Another possibility is that he came to Jesus at night because it was at night when all of the action was done. There was no one around Jesus. He could have one-on-one -on -one attention. He could really dive into the subject matter. That's a second reason. A third reason he might come at night was because this was the practice of theological discussions. Pharisees and scribes would study scripture late into the night. Abby, have you studied for a test late into the night recently? Yes. If you're a college student, you've lived this. And I know you have. You probably crammed all-nighters in law school, right? You know what this is like. You stay up all night studying. But they did it to pass a test. They did it because they were that deeply interested in the truths of God. You see the difference? 
And so coming at night would have been a normal thing for a, a, a Pharisee to sit, and they would talk into the wee hours of morning about theology. What this tells us, then, is that no matter what the exact reasoning was, Nicodemus came because he wanted deep connection and answers. So he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So this is kind of a normal introduction and conversation back then. It would have been a way to say, we recognize that you're important, we being the other Pharisees and I. We've talked about you, and what you're doing is pretty amazing. In fact, we think that you're probably from God, because no one can do these things that you're doing and teach like you teach if they're not from God. So he's kind of buttering Jesus up here, right? He's kind of, it's kind of like the, uh, this is a, 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 a rhetorical, uh, a, my bad, let me back up. This is the way they used rhetoric in their culture to kind of create what could be a hard discussion. But Jesus, seeing through it, jumps straight to the subject matter. And I love this about Jesus. Jesus is like, okay, yeah, I got the pleasantries. We're good. Let's really get to why you're here. Like, cut the mess, right? I don't have time for that. I know you like to sit and pontificate throughout the night, but let's really talk about why you're here. Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, which is always emphatic. It is always in your face. When Jesus says, truly, I say to you, or truly, truly, I say to you, it's like I'm about to bring a verbal bomb. So listen. I'm going to explode your head with truth. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus says nothing about the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says nothing about spirituality. Nicodemus asks no questions. But Jesus jumped straight to the crux of the matter. Look, hold up, Nicodemus. Listen. What I'm about to tell you is extremely important. No one can see the kingdom unless they are born again. Except again really isn't again in the original language. Did you know that? Does anybody in here have a different translation? They must be born. Okay, that's, yeah, born of water is in the next part. Yep. But this word again actually means from above. Now it can mean again. But in John's gospel, it never does. Which makes no sense while we say born again. And how many times have you heard people say, oh, you must be born again. It's become kind of a catchphrase. And that's not even really what the, what the word is, especially in John. So he says, listen to me, Nicodemus. Get this in your head. I know that you are brilliant. We all know that you're a ruler of the Pharisees. But you cannot see the kingdom unless you are born from above. 
What does that mean and why is that important to Nicodemus? In Nicodemus' worldview, in his understanding, you got the kingdom of God by behaving right. You had a list of laws that if you were obedient to these things, you experienced the kingdom. Not now, but at some future time. There was another way in his mind that you also saw the kingdom in some future time. And it was because you were born Jewish. That was the theology of Pharisees. If you're Jewish, if you were born Jewish, and if, and or, if you followed all of these rules, then at some point in the future, you would experience the kingdom of God as God created it. Now understand that that in this culture, it is full of expectation. Jesus came at a time where the Pharisees were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for someone to show up and to bring God's kingdom and his rule and his reign on earth and to wipe everybody else out and, and hit restart. And so they thought, okay, are, are you that guy? But for that to happen... For you to be a part of what God was going to do on the earth, you had to be Jewish and or you had to obey all of these rules. And if you did all of this stuff, then you were going to be in this new world or whatever it was going to be when it was all said and done. And so Jesus just cuts it. He says, you know what? Let's stop right there. If you really want to see the kingdom of God, then you have to be born from above. Has nothing to do with your birth certificate and what your background is. It has nothing to do with where you were born or who you were born to. It has nothing to do with what lineage or ethnicity you are. It has nothing to do with whether you went to church or not. It has nothing to do with whether you showed up at synagogue or not. It has nothing to do with whether you went to the temple for Passover and you slit the throat of the lamb and you sacrificed the lamb. It has nothing to do with any of that. If Nicodemus, all of these rules you put in place, if you really want to see the kingdom you have to be born from above. This would have been mind-blowing. World-shattering news. So it's no wonder that Nicodemus says, whoa, 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 whoa. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he re-enter a second time into his mother womb, mother's womb and be born again or be born again? Nicodemus here knows what Jesus is saying. But like the pestilent kid that wants to act like they don't understand their parents' directions, Nicodemus is saying, What? This makes no sense. It's like, you know, I don't know, it'd be like telling the kid to take out the trash and they go to the trash can and they start taking out trash and putting it on the floor. You said take the trash out. I mean, that's kind of what Nicodemus is doing here. He knows that's not what it means. He knows what Jesus is saying. He just doesn't want to get what Jesus is saying. Well, wait a second, Jesus. That's the silliest thing I've ever heard. How can a grown man be born again out of a womb? That's just disgusting. 
And Jesus was like, hold up, dude. So you get it again. Truly, truly, I say to you, hello. Unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, again, notice something. In our translation, it says of water and the spirit. Judith Ann, what's the the? What's that called? An article. Guess what? In the original language, guess what there's not? An article for either one of these. They're supposed to go together. It's not truly, I say to you, born of water and then the separate thing, the spirit. It's unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is true. This has tripped people up for years. Like, you read that and you're like, what the heck does that mean? Like, does that mean most people think baptism? In fact, if you grew up in the Baptist church, it's probably what you were taught, that this means baptism. It could, but it doesn't. At least I don't think it does. It could be a reference back to John's baptism which was just the chapter before this. And in John's baptism, what was he calling people to really do before he baptized them? What, what did they have to do? Say it out loud, Matt. They had to repent. So it could be saying that to be born or to see the kingdom of God, to be born from above, you have to be born of repentance, water, and spirit. It could mean that. But it probably doesn't. Or this could be, which I think is probably more likely, water is a euphemism. It was used over and over and over again. And if you don't know what a euphemism is, let's just say water is part of the process to create human life. I'll let you figure out what that means. It was a euphemism. It was a polite way to say something that's not very polite in mixed company. It could mean that, literally, but I don't think it does. I think it actually, what John does often, is he takes an allusion. He takes a word that has multiple allusions and multiple meanings, and he chooses that specifically to encapsulate all of it. So we read this really this way, if you sum all of that up into one word, what does it mean to be born of water and spirit? It means to be born spiritually, period. It means to be born spiritually, not from any earthly source, but from a heavenly source. So he repeats, in essence, what he said before. Look, Nicodemus, if you want to enter into the kingdom... Before he said see, now he's saying enter into the kingdom. If you want to experience kingdom reality, then you have to be born spiritually. Now the reason why the article is there is because correctly, spirit here means the Holy Spirit. And so translators add the article thus so it delineates that it's not just any spirit, it's the Holy Spirit. 
And so what do we learn from this? We learn that if we really want to experience God and what he's created us to experience, if we really want to experience his kingdom, his rule, his reign, it means that we have to be born spiritually. It's not a set list of things you do. It's not coming forward and kneeling down and saying a prayer, I've done it, I've checked it off the list. That's not what it is. It's not going underwater in baptism and coming back up. That's not what it is. If you want to enter into the kingdom, you have to have a spiritual rebirth. And that's what Jesus is saying. Nicodemus, look, you can have all of your list of rules and you can do all the right things, but unless you are reborn spiritually, it means nothing. You have to have a spiritual awakening. And there's only one source of that. It's the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born from above. Why is this so hard for you, Nicodemus? You can't earn it. Just like a baby in a mom's womb can't decide, hey, I'm going to be conceived. Doesn't work that way. Just like a baby in a mother's womb doesn't say, hey, you know what? I'm out of here. Well, I guess it kind of happens like that, but in a different way. He doesn't choose, she doesn't choose that moment. There are other factors. And in the same way, you can't just do this checklist of things and be a part of the kingdom of God. And as I always say, don't hear the kingdom of God as heaven in some distant future. What is the kingdom of God? When John talks about it, when Matthew talks about it, when Mark talks about it, all throughout the New Testament, when Jesus or anybody else says the kingdom of God, they mean the power and the rule of God. God's reign, like a king reigns over a kingdom, God's reign. It's not a place, it's not some time in the future, it's any person in any place where God's spirit is in control and reigning. That is the kingdom, which means that right now some of you in this room are in the kingdom of God even though you're in this room. Because God is, his spirit is working in you and reigning over your life. And if that's the case, you're in the kingdom. There's others of you in this room that want to be in the kingdom, but you haven't been born spiritually to the point where you put yourselves under his control. So Jesus says, don't marvel that I say you must be born from above because you can't do it. Just like a baby can't do this whole process by itself. You can't, Nicodemus. Something else that has to happen. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from, where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And what an odd and weird explanation. That was very clear, isn't it? Y'all all got that? It's about as clear as mud, so let me unpack it for you a little bit. Understand that in their culture, wind was totally unpredictable. There was no forecast. Now look, if you live on the Gulf Coast, you know that the, even the forecasters don't have a clue what they're talking about. 
Ah, it's going to be, you know, a tropical storm, Category 5. Right? I mean, it's that kind of stuff. Evacuate now! 30 mile an hour winds. We think we can predict, but in their culture, there was no prediction. There was no radar. There was no idea or clue about what was happening. The wind blew, and it was mysterious, and it was powerful. And so Jesus is using an illustration to help Nicodemus understand. He's like, look, Nicodemus, think about the wind. Think about the power of the wind. It moves the trees. It shakes the earth, and it shapes our deserts. Remember, they lived in deserts. The wind blows, and we can't move across the ocean without it because there were no such thing as motors. The wind is this powerful, all-encompassing source. Everywhere you go, it's there, and you don't know where it's going or what it's going to do. One of my first jobs was I was a counselor at Camp Chandler in Montgomery, and we had 12-foot sunfish. Does anybody know what a 12-foot sunfish is? It's a little two-person, yeah, yeah, I know you do. It's a little two-person, uh, uh, simple sailboat. You put the, what's the thing in the bottom? That you, yes, thank you. And then you, then you got this thing back here. And then you got the rope, the till. Yeah, thanks, man. I, this thing and this thing and this thing and all this thing. And to think I actually taught it one summer. Understand that was like 40 years ago. Not that long. 30 years ago. Yes, I was only 8 years old and I was on staff at camp. So 30 years ago, and one of my first jobs was to help the guy who was teaching selling and I remember one day, um, we got out on the sailboat on the lake, and there was no wind, and it was miserable. And you were trying any way you could to find a little, just a little source of wind, just to get back. I mean, we were like, golly, we're way back. And my thought was, I'm going to have to get in the water, in the lake, and grab the rope and swim it back, because there is no wind. And in a lake, there's no current. And then all of a sudden, to the west, clouds begin to billow up and form. And a cool breeze starts to blow. And the wind picks up. And I think I was actually in the water. I hopped back in the boat. And I'm like, this is about to be a ride. And I get in that boat and the wind starts to blow. And for a second, because we kind of maneuvered about and really couldn't get anything, we couldn't get the, we couldn't get the sails right. And we were just kind of flapping in the wind. The, you know how the sail does? Blah, 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 blah. I think it even slapped the guy in the boat with me in the face, which was kind of funny, but not. But then we got turned correctly. And the cells fill. And the wind's blowing so hard, we start moving. And I'm not talking about inching along. I'm talking about moving. And the harder you pull, the harder you pull on the rope, what happens? The tighter the cell gets, we're hauling. 
And I think that that's what it means to be born from above. A lot of us are sitting in dead water. Now, if you're in a body of water with current and you're just sitting there and there's no wind, the current is going to take you wherever the heck it wants. And some of you, that's exactly what's happened in your life. You're sitting there, you haven't harnessed the wind yet, and, and you're just getting carried away with the current. Which, whichever way the current takes you, that's the way you're going. But in this analogy, the spirit comes as wind. And if you put your cell up and you catch it, then the wind takes control. Now, some of you in the past have caught that wind, but you've turned your rudder a little bit, or, and, now, and now you're out of the wind and you're just flapping. And it's time to recatch the wind. It's time to, to gain that wind in the cell again so that you can move again, right? They call that tacking. You've got to tack back and forth, right? So you have to tack. Some of you are stuck, and, the, and you've tacked before, and you've felt the Spirit, and you felt the wind, and, you, and God's moved you in great, in great ways, but, but now you're just in dead water again because, because you've gotten out of rhythm. And it's time to re-harness the power of the Spirit. I don't know if you're in dead water and you've never experienced or, or if you've experienced it and, and it's just still right now. But some of you in this room also, you're full on, man. The spirit is blowing in your life and you've harnessed it and you've pulled that, that rope tight and you're just, you're cruising. You're, you're, whoom, whatever that means, whoom, you're doing that. And that's a beautiful picture that Jesus is painting to Nicodemus of what it means to be born from above. It's when the Spirit blows into your life and you let it harness all that you are. And it takes you exactly where it's blowing. That's the work of the Spirit. He comes in. He takes control. And He moves you. He gives you life and movement and purpose and direction. And that's what it means to be born from above. So the work of the Spirit in this born from above is He's the one that does the work. He blows in and changes you and gives you a whole new life and a new way of being. Guys, harness the wind. We hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one.